0: How y'all doing? Doing well. I'm Doing well. We started last time we were together a new Bible study series for this evening Bible study uh, on the parables of Jesus. Uh, we told you that uh, Jesus chose to teach in parables. Uh, parables are uh, Stories that are told that have a moral uh, point of view have a have a moral uh, lesson that they try to convey. And Jesus uh, used parables, uh, not exclusively. There are others who tell parables in Scripture, but uh, He uses them more extensively than anyone else. Um, there are some 38 parables of Jesus in the Scripture. We're not going to cover all 38 of them, but we did want to cover uh, some of the more significant parables of Jesus. Last week, we started with the parable of the sower and the seed. Uh, the parable is told in all three synoptic gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke, uh, In the Matthean account, uh, immediately following the parable that Jesus tells on the sower and the seed, he tells a parable about weeds. And that's the parable that we want to lift up uh, tonight. I know last week we were in Mark. We're going to be in all four gospel accounts as we go through this. Uh, The parable uh, on the weeds is found in Matthew chapter 13. And I want us to look at verses 24 through 30. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. What did we say was the purpose or the overall theme, the overall message that Jesus was trying to convey in uh, the parable that we lifted up last week, the parable of the sower? Well,. Uh, whenever you you start dealing with parables, you have to understand what the various aspects of the parable mean, how how they relate to us. Uh, Jesus talks about a uh, sower, a a farmer, who goes out to plant seeds, and the seeds fall on various types of ground. Uh, The And each of those things had significance. The farmer, the sower, represents us, the believer, uh, the the Christian, the one who is called out by God. The seed that uh, the farmer is sowing, that, that he is planting, represents the Word of God. And the soil upon which the Word falls uh, that the seed falls represents those who receive the word and what happens with their receiving it. Uh, Jesus says that some of the seed falls on stony ground. Some of it falls on, uh, shallow ground. Some of it falls on thorny ground and some of it falls on good ground. And, uh, In three of the four instances, uh, the stony ground, the shallow ground, the thorny ground, uh, nothing is produced from it. Uh, uh, The seed uh, doesn't take root. It it is not given the opportunity to grow, and nothing uh, happens uh, as a result of it being planted. But when the seed finds good ground, then the seed not only takes root, it not only grows, but it produces a bountiful Harvest uh, uh, the 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 message version doesn 't give you a quantified amount, but if you look at it from the King James version or from some of the other contemporary versions, it will say thirty fold sixty fold a hundred fold and that that is thirty times more than what was planted, sixty times more than what was planted, a hundred times more than what was planted. makes me believe that it had to be watermelon seeds that he was throwing because because watermelons seeds produce a whole lot of seeds in the watermelon, Uh, 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 but regardless of what it was, the point that Jesus was trying to make is, as the sower, as the farmer, as the one responsible for sharing the seed, you're not responsible for what happens to the seed. You're responsible for sharing the seed. You're not responsible for how the ground receives the seed. You're only responsible for making sure that the ground has the opportunity to receive the seed, okay? That's the point of last week's lesson, and y'all looking at me this week like, like y'all looked at me last week. Uh, but, but it's important that you have a, an, an appropriate understanding of what it is that he was trying to say, because he flips the agricultural uh, 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 perspective in the parable that we're lifting up tonight. Whereas last week he was talking about the receptivity of the soil to the seed that was planted. In in, in the parable that we lift up tonight, Jesus deals with the flip side. What happens when the seed is rejected? What happens when we reject the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ? How is it possible that Seed can find good soil and seed can grow and yet be choked out by negative circumstances. He's talking about the possibility, the the real likelihood of us rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ and the consequences that come from such rejection. It's presented in the form of another parable having to do with seed and ground. He told another story, verse 24. God's kingdom is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. That night, while his hired men were asleep, his enemy sowed thistles all along the wheat and slipped away before dawn. When the first green shoots appeared and the grain began to form, the thistles showed up too. The farm hands came to the farmer and said, Master, that was clean seed you planted, wasn't it? Where did, the th- where did these thistles come from? He answered, Some enemy did this. The farmhands asked, Should we weed out the thistles? He said, No. If you weed out the thistles, you'll pull up the wheat too. Let them grow together until harvest time. Then I'll instruct the harvesters to pull up the thistles and tie them in bundles for the fire. Then gather the wheat and put it in the barn. So he continues with an agricultural analogy, with an agricultural story. But the point of this one is very different from the point of the last one. The point of this one has to do with our rejection of the good news of Jesus Christ and the consequences that come from that rejection. Now, In that we're talking about rejection, let's let's focus on what rejection looks like for just a minute. Rejection can take many forms and can be caused by many reasons. But there are commonalities with regard to rejection. And the commonality is this. There is an unwillingness to change. We reject anything that calls for us to change because we're not willing to change. I've been this way for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Stop when I get to your number. I've been doing it this way, and I ain't about to change now. That's part of your problem. That's that's your rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understand, in order to receive the gospel, the very first thing you have to do is be willing to change. Repentance is an essential requirement of salvation. You can't be saved. You can't be regenerated. You can't be born again if you're not willing to repent, if you're not willing to make a change. Change for what? Change because what you've been doing ain't been working. Change because the direction that you have been headed is the wrong direction. And understand, the fact that you're going in the wrong direction does not mean that you are a bad person. It just means that you hit it in the wrong direction. I think we we, we have the mistaken idea that everybody who's going to end up in hell is is a street thug or a criminal or, or, or some kind of terrible person. Some of the nicest folk in the world are going to end up in hell. Did you know that? might be you. If you're not willing to make, you can be nice and be unwilling to make a change. You can be pleasant, and you can, be, you can have a smile on your face, and you can speak with, with, with a nice, melodious tone in your voice. If you are unwilling to make a change, then your nice, sweet, talking, even-toned self is going to find yourself right there in hell because you will have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nice doesn't get you into heaven. Jesus does. You can can be nice and reject Jesus. I don't like cheese on anything but a pizza. I don't want cheese on a hamburger. I don't eat macaroni and cheese. I don't want cheese on nothing. Except a pizza. You know why I can take it on a pizza? Because you can't taste the cheese when it's on a pizza. It's not not just my theory. It's a fact. You can't can't taste it. And and so I I, I can take cheese on a pizza because you can't taste it. On everything else, I I, I do not want cheese. You give me cheese on anything else, I'm going to send it back. And if I don't send it back, I'm just going to push it to the side. I'm I'm not going to eat it. Now, you can tell me how wonderful cheese is. You can tell me the taste is fabulous. You can tell me that there are nutritional benefits to eating cheese. You know what I'm going to say? I ain't never had cheese, and I ain't about to start eating cheese now. Now, I think most people know that I'm a pretty nice fella. Some of y'all might disagree, but I'm I'm a pretty nice fella. I'm I'm a pretty even-toned fella. I'm I'm a congenial person. I try to help people. You know what I ain't going to do? I ain't going to eat no cheese. And I can say that nicely, and I can say that in a soft tone, but I I ain't eating no cheese. Cause I don't like cheese on anything but a pizza. What's my point? My point is not what my dietary preferences are. My point is you can be nice, and you can be sweet, and you can be cooperative, and you can be even-toned, and you can have a pleasant personality. If you ain't willing to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're on your way to hell. With your nice, even-toned, mild-mannered self, you are on your way to hell. Because there is only one way to heaven, and it ain't got nothing to do with how nice you are. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. There is but one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The flip of that is also true. There are going to be some unpleasant folk who are going to be in heaven. You know why? Because with their unpleasant selves, they had sense enough to accept Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. In fact, in, in, in fact everybody who's going to heaven got a problem of one sort or another. Most of the New Testament was written by a man named Paul. Paul was the most egotistical, hard-headed man you will find anywhere. Arrogant. For Paul, it was his way or no way. Barnabas says, come come on, let, let, let's go back and visit the places that we went before. Paul says, okay, let's go. He says, well, I'm going to go get John Mark, and he's going to come with and say, no, he ain't going he ain't going with us. And, and Barnabas said, why not? He said, well, you know, he left us the last time we went. He, he left us high and dry and ran back home. I ain't taking him with me no more. He, he ain't worth it. We, we ain't going with him. And they got into such an argument that Barnabas and Paul decided to go their own separate ways. Because Paul said, you can do what you want to do. You can say what you want to say. I ain't taking John Mark with me on this journey. Now, which one of y'all thinks Paul ain't in heaven? With his arrogant, ill-tempered self. I'm trying to make the point that it's not about your personality. Your personality ought to be better than it is. If you got a nasty personality, don't don't say, well, I'm going to heaven with my nasty personality. Try to work on your personality. Try to make your personality a little bit sweet, a little bit nice, a little bit more pleasant. But my point is personality is not the determining factor as to who goes to heaven. Sweet folk going to be in hell and some hellacious folk going to be in heaven. Because it's not about whether or not you're sweet or hellacious. It's about whether or not you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. Rejection comes from an unwillingness to change, an unwillingness to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Rejection comes from an unwillingness to shift perspective. One of the reasons why we're unwilling to shift, one one of the reasons why we reject is because it means that we have to take our focus off of us and put our focus on Christ. And for many people, especially These days, focus away from self is just something hard for us to do. Life is really all about us. We want everything made to our convenience. We want everything brought to us. When we want it, how we want it, the way we want it, in the quantities that we want. Life is all about us. People are not really people. People are there to service our needs, and when they no longer service our needs, then people become disposable. That's the life that we live. That, that's the world in which we live. That's the society in which we live. That's what capitalism is really all about. How did you get to capitalism? Because capitalism is a system that is based on exploitation. The reason why our ancestors were brought here was because some folk wanted to wanted work to be done that they didn't want to do. And they wanted other folk to do it for them. And they didn't want to have to pay them to do the work. They wanted to compel them to do the work. Because for them, life was all about them. And so they exploited an entire race of people. And you can put that poor races of people in order to satisfy themselves. Well, we reject Christ because we don't want to to take our focus off of us and put it on Him. Seeing that we are encompassed by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that has been set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. You, you, you can't serve the Lord and have your focus on you. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We told you last week when, when, when we started this, we were talking about Peter getting out of the boat when they were on the water, and Jesus comes walking to them on the water, and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. And Jesus says, come. And he gets out, and he walks on the water as long as his focus was on Jesus. When he took his focus off of Jesus, he began to sink. We reject Christ because it's To embrace Christ means that we can't be first. It can't be your world. You must recognize that you are a part of a much larger whole, and the center is not you. The center is Jesus Christ. And so we reject Christ because of an unwillingness to shift our perspective. And what Jesus wants us to see in this parable is that there are consequences for rejecting Christ. God's kingdom is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. That night, while his hired men were asleep, his enemy sowed thistles all through the week and slipped away before dawn. I want to answer four questions in this parable. Question number one, who planted the weeds in the field in the first place? The answer is the enemy. That's what he says right there. He says, enemies came and sold thistles into the field while the workers were sleeping. The enemy is who? Satan. If you recognize that good seed was planted into the field, the seed being the Word of God, and and, and, and it was planted into the field, the field being the recipients of the Word of God. So then there was There was originally great potential for a wonderful harvest to come from this, but the enemy stepped in, and the enemy planted weeds, planted thistles into the good grain. It helps us to be mindful of the fact that the enemy is always around us. Ephesians 6 and 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Peter, says in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't ever forget that your enemy is not a person, but your enemy is an evil spirit, a demonic spirit. Now, Does the devil work through folk? Sure. Sometimes the folk that the devil works through is you. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, says, you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. And Jesus commends him for that and tells him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. A few minutes later, Jesus starts talking about the suffering that he's going to endure. All of this is still in Matthew chapter 16. So I was talking about the suffering that he's going to endure. And this same Peter yanks Jesus to the side and says, Lord, that ain't going to happen to you. You need to hush up with that because that's never going to happen. And Jesus responds to Peter, not by calling him Peter, not by calling him Simon. He says, get behind me, Satan. So, when I say sometimes the one that Satan uses is you, I ain't saying that to be insulting. I'm saying that because the Bible says so. Don't think that because you do a divine thing one second that, that that liberates you from being used by the devil the next second. The devil wants to use you just like God wants to use you. And it depends on you as to which one is being, which one is using you. How did the, the, the weeds get in the field in the first place? The devil put them in there, which leads to question number two. How did the enemy get access to the field? Jesus says he came and sowed the seeds. While everyone was asleep. All the workers were asleep. All the ones who should have been watching were asleep. All the ones who should have been caring were asleep. One of the tactics of Satan is to lull us into such a place of complacency and comfort that we take our eyes off of the work at hand. A charge to keep, I have. A God to glorify, who gave his Son our soul to save and fitted for the sky to serve the present age. My calling to fulfill. May it all my powers engage to do the master's will. May it all my powers engage to do the master's will. May it all my powers. One of those powers is staying alert. Staying awake. Not cutting corners. But doing the work you have been called to do. If the church becomes complacent in its job, then it's the church's fault that Satan has access to the field. It's our fault. When we lose somebody, when, when, when somebody comes and, 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 and we are not able to keep them here, that's our fault because we have become complacent when you decide that worship is optional. If I miss it this Sunday, it'll be back around next week. That should not be your attitude when it comes to the worship of the Lord. First of all, worship shouldn't be just a Sunday thing. You should worship the Lord all day, every day. But on the Lord's day, we are to come together And we are to worship the Lord together in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is never a Sunday when this church shouldn't be filled to the rafters with chairs down the aisle. Not just Easter. Not just church anniversary or some other special day. There should never be a Sunday When this church isn't packed when you decided uh, I'll go next week. It's funny. If if, if it rains, it's too wet. If it doesn't rain, it's too nice a day to be inside. If it's cold, I don't want to get out in that chilly weather. If it's warm, I can do other things on such a beautiful day than be in the church which choir is singing today who's preaching today is it my Sunday to usher none of those questions are relevant at all there should never be a Lord's day that comes when you have health in your body that you don't get yourself up and make your way to the Lord's house. Now, sick folk, I understand. But if you ain't sick, you ought to get up. You ought to come. God woke you up this morning, but, 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 but you ain't coming. And here's the thing I've learned about, uh, about good old black Baptist folk. We all got a Sunday that we already made up our minds. We ain't coming to church. Typically, the history of this church is that Third Sunday is the weakest, most poorly attended Sunday of the month. Did you know that? Trust me, I know. I've been around here for, 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 for a minute or two. Historically, Third Sunday is the most poorly attended Sunday of the month. Regardless of the reason why, I could tell you why, but that's, that's chasing a rabbit down a hole, which I don't need to chase, regardless of the reason why. What it says is, you made up your mind. I can't, it ain't possible for me to go to church every Sunday. I remember when my mother was, was still alive, and she was talking with one of her coworkers. She came home and told us about, she said, uh, they were talking about how often they go to church, and she said, well, I go to church every Sunday. And they couldn't believe it. You mean every Sunday? You mean, Stony? Stone, you go to church every Sunday? For her, it was never a big deal. That, that was just the way that it was. But I know w- w- we bring our culture with us, and some of us come from places, or, or, or we have family that come from places. We don't have church every Sunday. You only had church twice a month. So the idea of coming to church every Sunday... That just wasn't in your cultural DNA. So, so we pick and choose certain Sundays that we know we ain't going to come. I talk about the choir singing. If your choir ain't singing, some, some folk don't come unless their choir sings. Some folks sing, and then when they get through singing, they take their stuff, and they get up, and they walk out. And we're talking about how committed we are. How did the enemy get in the field? That, that, that's the question. That's the second pertinent question. The enemy got in the field because the folk who were supposed to be watching the field, the folk who were supposed to be caring for the field, the folk who were supposed to be taking care of the field, fell asleep on the job. You became complacent, and as a result, the enemy had access. It's more than just showing up on Sunday. We become complacent in other ways. Do you remember how excited you were when you first came to Jesus? How how much you loved the Lord and how you wanted to do everything just right. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. What happened? When the new way is off, and and then all of a sudden, it's not as important as it once was that we do everything right. It's not as important that we please God. God will be pleased with a little bit less than our best. That's when Satan has you. That's when you think it's, I don't know whether I told it to this group or whether I told it to the noonday Bible study. Every now and then I like to cook. And when when, when you bake something, it's important that you let it bake all the way through. If the instructions say that you put it in the oven and you let it bake at 400 degrees for an hour then you let it bake at 400 degrees for an hour. If you take it out at the 30-minute mark because you opened up the door and looked at it and it looked like it was done, then when you bite into it, you're going to find out that it's raw. And it's, it's not any good. And it's because you became complacent. You substituted your will, your idea, for God's will. That's how Satan gets us. You ain't got to do it that way. You you remember the first sin of, uh, of the Bible? Satan comes to Eve and says, did God really say? And Eve says, God said this. Not only did he say that, he said, if you touch it, you will surely die. And Satan says, no, you won't. He said, God is lying to you. God doesn't want you to be as smart as he is. He knows if you take of this fruit, you'll be as smart as he is, and he doesn't want you to be as smart as he is. That's why he's trying to keep you from taking that fruit. And we start to take shortcuts. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and profitable for gaining wisdom, she took from it gave to her husband and he took from it as well. That's what happens. Satan lulls us into a place of complacency where we no longer do what we used to do. And that's how the enemy gets into the field. The third question is how was the thicket or the weed ultimately discovered? The answer is that while the wheat bore fruit, the weed never did. Jesus says that the two grew up together, and when they grew up together, at some point the weed, the wheat bore fruit. But the weed never did. The weed never bore fruit because the weed couldn't bear fruit, because the weed didn't have any fruit. bear the weed that was sown in was something called bearded Darnell and I want you to get this it was called bearded Darnell bearded Darnell looks just like wheat until it's ripe when it becomes ripe, at harvest time, the wheat would sprout and form a head. But the darnell had no fruit to sprout. Here's the other problem: If you ate the darnell, if you consumed the fake wheat, it would cause you to get sick. It would cause dizziness and nausea. And if you ate enough of it, if you ate it in sufficient quantities, it would kill you. Now, I want you to think about that. The weed in the field was a nuisance. But the weed in the body was deadly. The weed in the field was a problem, but the weed in the body was poison. The weed in the field was cause for concern, but the weed in the body led to death and destruction. Weeds are weeds because they don't have any fruit. They can sing like wheat. They can preach like wheat. They can pray like wheat. They can quote scripture like wheat. But when harvest time comes, They can't bear any fruit because they have no fruit to produce. And in fact, they are poisonous to the body. You let weed hang around you long enough. You know what happens when you hang around weeds long enough? Weeds choke out the good. and leave you with nothing either. Some weeds like to gather around wheat just so they can choke the wheat out. We have to be on guard against the weed, not just as a nuisance in the field, but as poison in the body. So, what happens next? Once the weed was discovered, this is the fourth question, and I'm done. Fourth question. Once the weed was discovered, what was the remedy? The remedy was you got to separate the weeds from the wheat. But here's the thing got to be careful who you let do the separate. Yeah. Yeah. To their credit, read the story, to their credit, once the servants realized what had happened, they asked the master, let us go into the field and let us separate weeds from wheat. And Jesus says, the master says, I appreciate your desire but no, I can't let you do that. Why not? Why why can't we do it, Master? You can't do it because in your desire to pull up weeds, you might also pull up some wheat. And the wheat is too valuable. Every piece of wheat, every grain of wheat is so valuable that I don't want to lose even one by you trying to pull up weeds. So what does that mean? If, 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 if you're not going to let us go out there and pull it up, then what's going to happen? Master says, let them grow up together. Leave them in the field. Take care of the field. Don't go back to sleep. You went to sleep and this is what happened in the first place. Leave them in the field. Take care of the field. Fertilize the field. Water the field. Make sure the field gets sufficient amount of sunlight. And when harvest time comes, I'll go out. And I'll separate weeds from wheat. This is where I, I get to my personal testimony part, and I'm, I, and I'm done. As pastor of, of this church, from time to time, somebody will say, Pastor, can I talk with you for a second? And they want to come into the office, and they want to tell me, Pastor, do you know that you've got some weeds in the church? I wanted you to know, Pastor, because I love you, Pastor. And and, and I just want you to know, you got some weeds growing up in the church. They're growing right alongside the wheat. And I want to know what you're going to do about the weeds growing in the wheat. And my response In some form or another, I try to say it as nice as I I can. I ain't going to do a thing. Because it's not my job to separate weed from weeds. That's not my job. That's not what I was called to do. That's not my pastoral assignment. This is what I will do. I will preach to the field. Weed and weed together. I'm going to preach to the field. I'm going to teach the field. I'm going to serve the field. I'm going to go to the hospital and visit the sick in the field. I'm going to feed the hungry in the field. I'm going to clothe the naked in the field. I'm going to serve them in every way possible because that's my job. My job is not to go out there and try to pull stuff apart. My job is just to serve the needs of the field because it ain't my field. I, I can't go out there And and start pulling stuff apart because it ain't my field. I'm a worker in somebody else's field. And my responsibility is simply to tend to the field to the best of my ability. Does it mean that some weeds are going to grow up and get strong in the field? Yep, it does. And when that happens, you learn how to work with the weed as best You can't. You smile at the weed. You give high fives to the weed. You hug the weed. You talk to the weed. Don't don't disrespect the weed. Don't walk by the weed and not say nothing to them. You treat the weed just like you treat the weed. Isn't Isn't that what it says? Treat the weed just like you treat the weed. Don't get mad at the weed. Don't be vindictive towards the weed. Don't think you're going to take out revenge on the weed. That's not your job. Shiloh will be 147 years old in August. I've been here as pastor six years. You think the weed just got here six years ago? There was weed here. When I got here, some weed voted for me to to, to, to get here. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. My job ain't to mess with the weed. My job is not to destroy. My job is to take care of the field, to take care of everything that's in the field. And when harvest time comes, It ain't going to be me. It'll be the Lord. And the Lord will separate wheat from weed. And the wheat is going to be tied up in bundles and put in the barn. And the weed is going to be burned up in fire. I'm so glad that ain't my job. One of the most important things in doing God's work is knowing what he's called you to do. And knowing what he hasn't called you to do. Part of our problem is that we let other folk tell us what God called us to do. When I was younger, I first started pastoring at the age of 24. At the age of 24, you're trying to make everybody happy. And, and, and you ended up making a royal mess. It was already a mess. You just made it a royal mess by trying to do stuff that the Lord didn't call you to do. And I have learned over the 32 years of, started pastoring in 1986. What's this, 2019? Over, over the 33 years of pastoring, I've learned what my job is and what my job is not. My job is not to separate weed from wheat. My job is to serve the field. By the way, your job is not to separate weed from wheat. Your job is to serve the field. Do that job to the best of your ability. Understanding this if it's a weed, it's not a rejection of you, it's a rejection of Christ. And it seems to me that somewhere in the Bible, it says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Right? Isn't that what it says? Samuel got mad because they said, we want a king like other folk. And Samuel said, no, you can't have a king. And God pulled him aside and said, give them what they want. Say, they're not rejecting you. You you didn't let your personal feelings get all into it. What is it y'all say? I'm in my feelings. Get out your feelings. This ain't about you. It's about him. Let him deal with what he's going to deal with, and you do what he called you to do. There might be somebody here tonight, y'all getting out early, who would want to accept Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. May we stand together and sing a verse of Just As I Am. And if there's one, we invite you to come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Repeat after me, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Y'all have a good evening.